This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to Teacher Talk Radio. Today you're here with your hosts, Kripa and Nazia, for your Sunday lunch. Today we'll be talking about a new qualification called Technical Levels. We will include our summary followed by our Sunday Serenity Month moment. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello friends and welcome back. Um, It's really good to be back and uh, we hope you all had a good summer. Uh, By the looks of it, that summer's continuing in terms of the weather. It's been sweltering. Um, Krupa, how are you? I'm really well, really pleased to be back. Uh, It's uh, funny when you you stop things that you enjoy and... um, you, you sort of think about it quite frequently. So it's really good to be back. It's really good to be here with you back on our Sunday lunch show. How was your summer? It went really quickly this year, really, really quickly. Um, I, I think I'll choose a word. I think it's a balanced, it was a balanced break. I spent some, you know, really important and uh, meaningful quality time with loved ones. Um, but I also um, had a, a nice mix of, thinking creatively and reading um, and I know that's that's a real privilege because I know for many that's not um, it's often far from that but for me I am incredibly grateful for for the balanced break that I had how about yours um it was a mixture of work uh, with some family time and I took a short break away uh, headed towards the Jurassic coast and it was I really enjoyed I mean being by the sea is my thing. Being Absolutely. by being by the water is my thing, and it just I find it so relaxing. So it was much needed. Uh, and to be honest, like you, I just I don't think it was long enough. I feel like it wasn't long enough. Um, however, I think moving forward, and I came back with just as long a to do list as I had when I when I went away. So I think um, my I'm going to have to be a little bit more mindful of trying to continue that balance that I found during the holidays and just uh, keep up with that yeah sounds really good and actually I think it's important time to be reflective in that regard as as teachers return back to school you've got senior leaders returning back to school you have young people um, I'm hoping as many of them returning back to school and feeling engaged and feeling happy to be there but we know there is a a large a growing cohort of those that aren't able to do that um, so thinking about those are being really uh, mindful about the intention for the term, what that looks like and how you go about doing that. So I'm, I'm assuming that you've been doing that with your team as well? Yeah, we have actually. I mean, we've, we've had three inset days and you know, regardless of how, how much or how little you try to plan in those days, what you find is that you're still, you still feel like exhausted at the end and we've tried to space out 
those uh, the inset days with lots of different types of activities so it's not overwhelming nice um but i still by the end of the by the end of the week it was still i, f- I felt like i needed a good night's sleep yeah. transition <laughs> transition does uh, uh, does require energy yeah does it not so moving on to our topic of the day, we are discussing tea levels. We have a wonderful guest, Rubina Sangera, who will be joining us and talking about uh, holistically what tea levels are about, the skills students learn, the benefits of it, how it's likely, how it's different from other qualifications. And we delve a little bit deeper into the implementation of technical levels as well. So that's really interesting uh, it's a really interesting topic for us because it was something new and I I knew very little about it. What about you, Krupa? Did you? I found, I I recall when looking at developing the colleges and so on and so forth and seeing T-levels, seeing technical levels, but not really having a concise definition of it. So I didn't really understand how it fitted in with all the other qualifications because as we've discussed later, I won't go into those areas but how things move on from one qualification to the next and actually mm. there's there is a traditional trajectory um but t-levels actually opened my mind into thinking about how we can blend that mm. into a different way of thinking um but that requires a lot more depth that requires a lot more conversation a lot more mm. uh, collaboration in that regard so um i thought it was really interesting conversation lots of new information um but information that i'm still processing if i'm mm. being really honest mm. And uh, I really loved it, uh, the the discussion on technical levels. I always love learning about new things. And so for me, I think it was really useful. And it's something I feel a little bit more confident talking about with other people now, I think. And Rabina's amazing. She has all the knowledge of the world. So without much ado, uh, what we'll do is we'll just get started. Let's do it. Today we're with a really special guest, Rabina Sangera. She is a a further education and higher education practitioner and a digital practitioner. And she has had a diverse range of roles within the sector. And I'm sure she'll be sharing those with us in the conversation. Uh, And mainly our conversation actually is going to revolve around talking about tea levels. Um, And so I'm sure there's uh, going to be plenty of uh, difficult questions and challenging questions ahead. And uh, but Rubina, um, she's a trooper. She will she'll be um, answering them really well, I know. And she's got a range of um, experience and knowledge on T level. So I'm sure that you know everyone will benefit from that. So without much further ado, Rubina, welcome. Thank you. Um, how are you? I'm okay, thank you. Good. I'm all Good. right. Looking forward to this great. conversation, that's for sure. Yeah, great. <laughs> so, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm somebody who came into teaching about close to 20 years ago, and um, mainly to teach computing and ICT um, in an FE environment, in a post-16 environment, across levels one to three, and then basically then on other mainly vocational programmes, and um, specialising typically in technical teaching and learning. Um, I have loved it and um, I think because I've always had a close relationship with my digital part of it, I've always worked in that sort of space as well. Um, I've done a lot of work around those two areas and the fact that they merged together for me, you know, teaching was perfect in that respect. Though it did come to a time when I decided that 
um, it would be great to move my journey elsewhere. Um, and I started to um, specialize more in workforce development, um, completed my coaching qualifications and a master's in human resource development um, with a view to thinking about how I might actually move forward from where I already was. And then moved into a leadership and management facilitator role, working with education providers across the country who were uh, particularly in sort of middle leadership. So heads of departments, faculty heads and um, team leaders implementing technical skills and T-levels. And um, I've had the fortune to actually work with staff development issues and then the major changes that they were facing um, when they were coming into these new qualifications. And, um, and it's been a real privilege actually to see their journeys. Um, and that's been nationally, you know, everybody's had a slightly different experience of it. Um, but it's been very interesting to see. So currently I am a high performance coach with World Skills UK, working on technical skills excellence um, with the teaching workforces, but I'm also a T-level ambassador with the Department of Education's T-level ambassador network and an early careers advocate for the BCS Chartered Institute for IT. And I also do some work with the Black and Minority Ethnic Educators Network as a coach. Lovely. So that is a, yeah, that is that is a hefty workload there, um, Rubina. Oh, it's um, good fun, Nasia. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, okay, um, right. So let's, uh, I mean, our conversation today is about T-level. So yeah. it would be really good for our listeners to get an understanding of what T-levels are, a brief introduction and how they differ from other qualifications? Well, I could, you know, be really evangelical about T-levels, but I think I'm going to be, you know, nice, robust and honest. I think <laughs> essentially the best way to look at it is it's a sort of flipped apprenticeship. So for those of you that are familiar with apprenticeships, you'll know that most um, students would have four days in a work environment and then come in to college one day a week or into a learning provision one day a week. With T-levels, it's slightly different. You have perhaps around four days or a block of learning um, with your education provider and then one day in a work environment. So that's part of the way in which it's actually structured in terms of thinking about the qualification, but also the, the necessity to have employability skills that are bankable you know, making sure that these aren't just students that are doing learning, but that they've got a certain um, value that when they go into the workforce, they're in a position to actually do that, but also have enough learning that they can go into university programs should they wish to. The program itself is actually um, quite different from what people have done in the past, because it does require a lot of that learning to be brought back from the workplace environment back into their classroom. And that's partly so that they have a level of maturity so that when they approach different elements of the qualification, they they know what they're doing with it. So um, the qualification is designed to be holistic. So it's not designed to be done separately so that you don't have a unit of content here and a unit of content there. The idea is that it's much more sort of holistic in that you teach elements of everything that they then have some sort of project or some element of bringing it together and that that is the kind of learning that they will then take into the workplace with them as well. So um, T-Levels are structured slightly differently from most qualifications that we might have come across. So you do have exams. It's not coursework 
based. Um, you have um, essentially a core element where you have two written exams in the first year or into the second, you can decide where you put those. And then they also have what's known as an ESP, an employer set project, which is not set by an employer, but it's employer informed, but it's actually set by the exam board and it's a controlled assessment. And that controlled assessment is done over a period of weeks. So you get given an assessment window and the students will then actually complete that assessment in that assessment window. Then in the following year, they have a much larger project type of um, assessment called an occupational specialism and that depends on the pathway they've chosen um, so that again would also depend on what the provider is doing so that one again is a large window for a number of different assessments that are taking place over the course and again it's um, set by the the awarding body so it's not actually something that is done um, or set in a sort of coursework related environment that people are accustomed to with vocational qualifications so it is different it is a different kind of beast it's different in that respect yeah good beast i think that is brilliant i think that's that's it's actually really refreshing to hear the word bankable employability yeah so much out there and there's lots of great willed initiatives and and settings and uh, you know the world of special needs in particular you know we're, yeah. we're trying move into that direction to help learners to to be in a space where they are understood to then be employed and look about the sustainable futures and so on and so forth so to this 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 concept of bankable employability i think is something i'm going to take away from this conversation so thank you so much for sharing that but bringing that back to to a sort of a world that i may understand a bit better is mm. is this accessible yet or is that a journey that sort of growing or you know in terms of learners that have an EHCP perhaps? I think it's really interesting because the way in which people view qualifications can be quite different and that's something I actually learned um, from a conversation that we had um, a few years back so let me just give you an example so um, we I say we but myself was invited to buy an examining body by an awarding body to come along and have a conversation about a new qualification that was coming out that was not T levels it was something different and where there's a few of us in from around the country from different um, providers um, and school environments all sitting down having a conversation about what the criteria should look like for pass merit and distinction primarily around the pass and the merit and distinction um, being, you know, what does it look like when the student achieves this? And um, what the awarding body wanted to do was to set a sort of benchmark for what they were expecting to see when they had work in and it was being assessed because it was going to be assessed by the awarding body, not in a uh, provider environment. And they, the awarding body could not get their, the team could not get their head around the fact that it took us 10 minutes to decide what a distinction looked like. And it took us an hour to decide what a pass looked like. And they felt, you know, surely it would be more straightforward to work out what the pass looked like. And what I had to explain to them was that, no, it's because of how we approach technical learning. So if those of us, that some of us that are in that room are saying, well, actually, if it's an equivalent level three program and it's equivalent to an A-level, what learner are you putting on here? And somebody else is saying, well, actually, we don't use the qualification in that way. We use the qualification to do this instead. You're coming from completely different places. So it's not a question of whether or not that person with an EHCP 
is the right learner. It's actually a question of whether or not that program is the right one for at that point in time. Or should they be on another program before they're ready for that level three program? So if you wouldn't put that EHCP learner on an A-level program, would you put them on a T-level is the question. Mm. And then you need to consider whether or not it's actually the way that you're actually using that qualification, not necessarily the way that it was actually intended. So that's why, you know, we were thrashing out for an hour what a pass looked like because for a past for some of us look very very different so what i'd expect from my learners for to see you know that sort of technical skills mastery was very different from what somebody in a different environment was looking at you know I, and to the point where some of the people in the room would say well i would never put my students through this qualification if it's going to look like this because they wouldn't achieve and we'd say well this isn't any different from what we've already been doing because it's a level three program so why would we expect an A-level student to do any different, we'd expect them to be able to achieve the same. So it's that question about how, you know, those programs are actually being used and is it the fault of the qualification that that's the case or is it something else? So are they, in a way, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, obviously in, in academics, you have you have your GCSEs, then you have your yeah. tech just slightly higher, but in between A-levels. So I'm assuming that the technical skills are like you said they're at the a level standard hmm. the a level standard because equivalent to an a level yes i think th th you've said something really interesting nazia that i'm going to pick apart and and it's just reflecting what you just said you said gcse's you said btec and then you said you know between you've got your btec between the um gcse's and the a level and that's that that was the reason why we had that conversation about what did a pass mm -hmm. look like because for some of us a BTEC doesn't sit there a BTEC sits next to those three A levels right okay so if your learner that you're putting on is equivalent to the one that you would put on your A level you've got a very different conversation going on mm. so if you like you were just saying you know you've been treating your BTEC as a step in between then yeah, yeah your pass is going to look very different to you mm -hmm. a pass is going to look very different to me if I'm looking at technical skills mastery and I'm saying well I'm, I need this person to not just be ready for university but they've got to be ready to go into the workplace mm -hmm. the conversation shifts and when I think to do something new yeah. it's very difficult to kind of pinpoint it's like I mean I only know of BTEC because of the the fact that because I work in the SEN sector mm. BTEC is kind of used as the next step up you know, for those students who aren't ready for A-levels, they yeah. we move them on to BTEC. And I suppose in any educational establishment, different sectors, different types of schools, yeah. these things are viewed differently. And so when you're introducing a brand new qualification into the usual in and, uh, and you want it to have the, uh, a set of value that um, you're trying to achieve the outcomes that you want to achieve as a result of these young people going onto the T-Levels um, program, then you need to make sure that it's uh, there's it's secure in where it sits in the minds of people and in within that education and within those academic structure, isn't it? You want to securely. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's more the entry point. So if your entry point is, you know, there's a certain... Um, entry requirements put your students onto an a level and actually it's the same for your t level it's not it's not at the end we're talking about what's happening right at the beginning so mm -hmm. part of the work that i was doing with providers was saying you know how we're going to have 
your students ready for that? What does your T-level learner look like? Um, what does that what does that look like to you? And they were able to articulate, well, this is what my T-level look, learner looks like. Well, then your reality is that your learners need to be ready for that at the end of a GCSE or at the end of what we call the transition programs, the pathways that are there designed to put them onto T-levels. So what are you doing in order to help build that? You see, you've got to remember that students don't know any different. They come to a qualification at level three. It's the first time they've ever done it. So whatever you put in there, more often than not, we know that if we set the expectations right, they'll step into those expectations beautifully. So it means that we scaffold them, we put them in there, we put them in those places and they step up. They always do. So if you know that at the beginning of that program, this is what my T-level learner needs to look like, and it's not based on just entry requirements, but they need to have some of these, what are you doing in order to prepare them for that? What are the schools doing in order to prepare them for that? So that conversation about A-levels is already set in people's minds. They know what the expectation is, that this is what my learner needs to look like if they're going on to an A-level. It's a new conversation to say, well, okay, what does your learner need to look like if they need to go on to a T-level? Because actually it's the same level of learner because that's what the qualification is designed to take on. You, you want to make sure that the learners have the best possible outcomes. You do, but we create a program that builds that technical skills mastery in there, that builds that employability in there, that builds that learning in there. But actually, if you need to prepare that learner to be on that program, what are you doing that's different from preparing them for an A-level? Mm. I suppose, yeah. you know, I suppose there isn't much that is done in A-levels. It's literally, you jump from GCSEs to A-levels. There is a transition period. There, in fact, a lot of the times, you don't, you're not even given any kind of advice on uh, you know books that you should buy or things it, it's all done on the program as soon as you start the program you're told okay these these are your reading materials these are your practice materials this is what this is this is the exam yeah. board this is the specification and you're kind of left to it because the assumption is that person should be able to manage their own learning what if you didn't have that assumption? What if you know that when you're building those learners in at, you know, when you have them in year 10 and you have them in year 11 and you can build in that ability to um, not just be an independent learner, but somebody who can tap into the jobs market and be a great part time um, worker and have that understanding. And you know that actually there's other qualifications, not just A-levels, but other qualifications that also allow and build on that, but allow them to specialize in a particular skill set at the same time. You know, what kind of conversation should we be having instead? So there's a real emphasis and a shift in thinking now that actually learners aren't just there, you know, in year nine, year 10, 11, just doing qualifications. There's been a shift in secondary education to say, what are you doing? How are you making them employable? What skills are you embedding? What career education are you providing? How are you getting them ready for what's going to be coming next? So that career journey is starting way earlier, way, way earlier, well before T-levels um, to the point where, you know, because this is recognition that the learners need good outcomes and good outcomes are about also being employable, even if that means after their degree programs. But if we have them employable and ready so that they have that choice at 18 and they do a lot of living between 16 and 18, they do a lot of development at, between 16 and 18. Who they are at 16 is so different from who they are at 18. But if you've already put them in a work environment during that period between 16 and 18, the change is 
huge it's massive and if they have not just got learning but learning that they've applied into a work environment and then they've brought that back into their learning environment that learner is far more mature far more capable in more ways than one there's something that in fe that a conversation that we'll have sometimes and say you know actually that that learner um is struggling with this element but you know what if they were out in industry for a year just a year and they came back and did this again, they would be able to fly through this because sometimes there's just certain things that we can't do in education that if they were um, in a working environment and they were tested in a slightly different way, that they would bring that maturity back. One of the things that the T-Levels is doing is actually giving them an opportunity to have that and bring some of that maturity back into the qualification, but also for themselves and they develop as individuals as a consequence. It is very different in the way that it's supposed to work. I mean, we see it in apprentices all the time um, when as soon as they go. And if you see in some of your students, if those of you that have worked in you know, FE environments or have your sixth form students, the ones that have got a part time job, they have a different mindset. And it's because it's developed because they've been in a workspace and they've worked with other individuals and they bring some of that learning that back into their um, education and they work differently. They do apply themselves differently. Oh, that's I, I, oh, my brain is just it's go it's whirring. This is brilliant, and I think you know when I was you know just bring it back to something that feels a bit more tangible and relatable when I was growing up, and I think when I was yeah. six, I had to, I had to work, um, but it's that job that made me because I realised actually for me to to work an hour, I was only earning five pounds something. I couldn't get a mascara for that. I couldn't get, you know, all the things that I wanted at that age. I couldn't get those things. So I realized at that point, and then, you know, our families and elders always say, oh, you don't know the value of money and you wouldn't be spending X, Y, and Z in, in the shops if it was you with your own money buying these things. And they were spot on. And I think actually there is such value in, be it through T-levels or in, in other qualifications, if, if it can be embedded, is to have that work day outdoors out of an educational setting where you are exploring where you are learning where you're having to manage um valuable mm -hmm. skills because the weight of that and you're quite right it does carve you into the next part of your life isn't it you're no you're not at the end point by by any stretch of the imagination but there is a significant element of growth both you know by biologically emotionally socially but also in terms of working out what you want to do and why you want to go down that road and I think that is that it sounds well what I'm hearing you is is I can see and feel and hear the value of that and actually I'm, I'm a bit like oh why wasn't this around when we were growing up and why has it taken so long for it to come through um which is just absolutely brilliant so in terms of you know the learners that you've worked with Hmm. Like, it'd be lovely to hear some of their thoughts what what do they come back and say after they've been at work for a day for a term and so on and so forth what's what's their outcomes it's really interesting um because there's a, a lot of learning that takes place um about how these things fit there's a lot of things that we do in an in an education setting. So on the previous qualifications, I could give them that learning and say, you know, when you do this, you're going to do it like this. But when you get into the work environment, it's not going to look like this. It's going to look a little bit like this instead. But they didn't have a place to test that. When they're working on T-level, because of the way that you may set that um, employment aspect up. So some people do it as a block of learning um, or a block in a work environment, or they might do it one day a week, depending on how they've set it up. Um, they see that readily why it's relevant 
what this is why I'm learning this because when I use it here I have to actually use it or actually they're telling me to do it like this so I go back and I tell my teacher um they're telling me to do it like this but you told me to do it like this so they're questioning the practice and it becomes a professional conversation about actually yes that's that's not wrong you know you're doing it like this but what might be the implications of that if you do that in that environment and what's the implications if you do it here in this environment so the learners are coming back with context they come back with um, an understanding of the value of what has been taught to them um, and that actually helps quite a lot to give them the the kind of understanding that they need because how else are they going to get it if you're not working in a school which mm. um which has explored t levels it yeah. seems like such a different pathway yes doesn't it and um and i i feel like there's an element of with anything new that comes on board there's an element of trepidation here in terms of not the fact that it hasn't got any value because obviously it does and we know from the results and things that have come out in the the most recent results that have come out I'm, there's apparently there's been like 90% 90.5% of uh, learners who have taken on T levels have been awarded a pass amazing results absolutely fantastic so you, you can see that there's value there and and it also talks about how there's um, within the, within those results. There, there's some um, uh, elements of you know this industry placements and the impact that that has had and mm. so on and so forth. So I think that there's some there's some great stuff happening here. But it's I think it's has it been adopted by the um, by colleges and fixed forms and stuff in the way that you hoped it would have, or do you feel like it's still early stages and actually there's that trepidation about bringing on something new beyond the BTEC and the A-levels and stuff? I think, um, I mean, I can't answer that question for anybody else. Um, certainly when I did it initially, I was with still with a, a Wave 1 provider and since then um, it's been certainly a very interesting experience overall. And when I'm working with providers the conversations I've been having has been about that trepidation that worry about you know are we ready for this we're going to have to do it we have to put it in place um but how are we going to do it and certainly the conversations I'm having is about well okay what can you do where can we go from here what does it look like so it it is a different way of working it is a different way of teaching it is a different way of having conversations with your students because you're not the lead. You can't be because it's a collaborative effort overall because you're working with an employer. You're working with your careers team sometimes or your careers advisor. You're also working with that student to help develop them and work with them. It's not it's not the same thing. So when you have a collaboration like that, learning takes place in a very different dynamic because that dynamic has more stakeholders in it and it's not just you standing in the classroom leading on a unit going through that content so it is going to have you know um some concerns for um some of the well like i said I, you know i've been working with the middle leaders and they're concerned you know what does this look like but typically by the end of some of those programs that i've worked with them on they're so excited because it brings about 
a kind of change that um, I think most of us, when we enter teaching and we have that huge enthusiasm for our subjects and our, the love for what we, we love doing. And, but also when you're working with learners to see that journey and that change, and some of them are so excited by what's coming. Uh, because they have an opportunity to completely reevaluate the way that they've been teaching and say, well, actually, it is about making it holistic. It is about making it relevant. We want them to have an ownership on this. Um, and they're embedding it. So that curriculum starts to look incredibly different and it looks much more diverse because of the range of experiences that are going to be coming to it. And if you are somebody who loves your subject, those professional conversations to take place they're, they're dynamic, you know, they're, they're, and they're taking place with the level three learners that are bringing those conversations back. Well, actually, we did this in this environment, or actually, we did this in this environment. And you've got employers that are saying, well, you know what, that's, that's a real surprise to me. I didn't realize that they would be doing this. Or actually, would it be okay for you to start to tweak it and do a little bit of this? And you can bring some of those different elements in that employers are asking for. So it's, it's very different. And to some extent, that trepidation, yeah, is is there, but it's there with every new qualification. I can't even remember the, you know, the conversations that we were having when the A levels took a major shift a few years back, and there was that same trap until you get it sorted, until you've got it in place, until you start teaching, and you think, well, okay, yeah, I've got this. I know, I know what we're doing with this, and. Um, I think most journeys are like that. And you get to the end of the that first academic year of delivering, you look back and you think, well, actually, A, I've survived it. And um, B, so did the students. Um, but actually, these are the things I'm going to be tweaking. And I don't know of a year when that's never been the case. Every time you put something new in place, you still have that journey. So in, in that respect, it's much more of the same. It's just done differently. Um, and most people do get used to how that um, qualification needs to be completed, how it needs to be assessed, how it needs to be done. But there is that period of learning that takes place in that. But it's the same as every other new one that takes place. Um, the difference here is that the stakeholders are different. And I know, for example, like there was a discussion, especially within, like I think within uh, Bain communities, you yeah. know, there, is, there is a traditional route that you go down and I know that there was a conversation with it in the community centre in, in my town, and which there was a lot of uh, a few youngsters who have taken on apprentices because they wanted to talk to the parents about the benefit of apprenticeships for the people within that community. Because what was happening was there was there's a lot of uh, youngsters from from the ethnic minority community who are taking on A levels, but they're not not necessarily getting the best results and they're in there what happens is when they turn 18 they're not good enough to go into university or they're doing more foundation courses or they're doing lots of research or actually they're just unemployed and so there's there was there's been a little bit of a problem within the area and so i think the i think there's been a lot of organizations youth organizations that have come together to try and talk about the benefit of the other types of qualifications that families need to be considering and encouraging within their within within their households, because GCSE and A levels and BTEC that's not the only thing, and and then moving on to college or university that's not the only route into success, having successful outcomes and having successful jobs at the end and careers that the, that the 
the youngsters are um, want to get into. Really fascinating discussion, um, really interesting. And I think that there's a lot more to talk about. So we will move on to a break and we'll catch you in a bit. This, this is, is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. RAC remains the top education story across many media outlets, with the BBC focusing on the impact the issue is having on universities across the UK. The news website refers to closures of lecture theatres, science labs and student unions. So far, 14 universities have told the BBC that they have closed or partially closed areas containing the reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete. Some lectures have had to be relocated and a small number of universities have had to find alternative accommodation for students, as halls of residence have also been affected. This has placed additional pressures on universities already facing housing shortages with charity Unipol suggesting that student housing shortages are going to get worse in some cities. Student numbers are growing, but the number of new rooms is tumbling. This is largely due to high building costs, older buildings falling into disrepair, and now rack concerns are adding to the issue. Last week, the DfE published the list of 147 schools in England built using the concrete. Six unions have now written to Education Secretary Gillian Keegan asking a series of urgent questions. The BBC says that Essex is the county in England with the most affected schools, with 25 closed, partly closed or making alternative arrangements. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has dismissed suggestions that he was at fault for the concrete crisis. During Prime Minister's question time, he said his government had acted decisively, whilst opposition leader Sakir Starmer referred to him as Captain Hindsight. In Wales, only two schools have so far been affected by RAC, but First Minister Mark Drakeford said inspections were ongoing. In Scotland, Humza Youssef has outlined his plans for the coming year, with a heavy focus on expanding childcare provision, saying it is the best way to support families. This plan includes the recruitment of a thousand more childminders by 2026. Free childcare hours are being extended to two-year-olds across the country. There will be a pilot of expanded care from nine months to the end of primary in six local authority areas and free school meals for P6 and P7 pupils moves forward. But those in receipt of the Scottish child payment will receive them first by 2024 with others following by 2026. Last week, Mr Yusuf also commented on the issue of banning single use vapes and linked this to the comments made about young people using vapes too often. He stated that the government will consult on curbing the sale of disposable single-use vapes, including consulting on an outright ban. According to The Guardian, South Korean teachers have staged walkouts over harassment by parents and students. Thousands of staff attended a rally in Seoul demanding better protection after a number of teacher suicides. Teachers are being increasingly vocal about their experiences of maltreatment including being accused of child abuse after disciplining students. Around 15,000 teachers attended a rally last week and some schools had to temporarily close due to a lack of staff. As of June 2023, 100 school teachers had died by suicide in the country since 2018. 
The current education ministry blamed the current situation on previous governments, saying that they had overemphasised students' human rights over teachers' rights. Finally, The Guardian also reports that a city in Japan is tackling a rise in truancy with the help of robots. Two schools in Kumamoto have purchased mechanical assistance to help children regain confidence in dealing with teachers and their peers. It is hoped the robots will encourage children to attend classes remotely and eventually coax them back in person. The robots will be equipped with microphones, speakers and cameras. Students learning remotely will be connected to the robots via laptops, allowing them to attend and take part in discussions. The robots will not be confined to classrooms, but be free to roam so pupils can take part in other events and enjoy social times remotely too. Japan, like many countries, including the UK, is facing a rise in the number of pupils refusing to go to school since the pandemic. Could robots be the key to improvement? This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we've all returned to work and I'm going to discuss the old argument of digital or paper diary. For every argument for going digital, there's a counter argument for not, and vice versa. You can access a digital diary from anywhere, on any device, but if you don't have a signal, it's useless. A paper diary can't get hacked, but it can be picked up and read if left lying around. You get the point. I personally like a digital diary, as it suits the way I work. I can add links to online meetings, add notes and attach documents. I can see my day, week, month, year at the click of a button. And the most useful thing for me is I get reminder notifications. One thing to consider if moving digital this year is policies on phones in your school, as this is the most likely way you'll access it on the move. And probably most importantly, if you're using your phone, Will you be able to resist the notifications from other apps or emails you see when you switch it on to use it? Cost doesn't really apply as a factor because you probably already have a phone capable of running a digital diary. But work-life balance may need to be considered as the diary is there 24-7. This can, however, be remedied by using Do Not Disturb settings for notifications. In the end, it's a personal choice. Are you paper or digital? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back, uh, Rabina. It has been an exhilarating conversation. I have learned so much about T-levels, and, and sincerely, I have been looking at this for a period of time, and I thought, I just don't get it because there's such a wealth of, of information and you have and thank you for breaking that down in a really simple format um sharing the pros and how brilliant it can be but also not seeing it as better or worse it's just a, a different pathway um, that holds different values that is going to support learners on their journey um to whatever that outcome may look like and i think that's a really clear message that's come through um so far so Thinking about all the pros and, and actually how the program works, um, I'm really keen to understand and, and know what are the difficulties or the challenges that providers come across with these um, particular qualifications? Oh, it's it's a different kind of mix. I think part of it is because the qualification is very geared to what is not just current, but what we call future scanning, you know, sort of horizon scanning about what skills are needed in the future. So there is a lot 
of um, content in the T levels and because I've worked with providers across quite a few of them so between what we call wave one and wave three um, and that's things around construction health digital and some of the others um, what's been really apparent is that the technical skills are on par with industry so when you are um, somebody who has come from an academic background it can feel very different to have to learn the kind of technical skills that they're actually doing there um, to go, in, you know, out there doing in industry that they're working on all the time. So it's providers are finding it's mainly around their own teams. It's not the learners, it's the CPD element around their own staff. So um, what kind of journey they, their staff need to be taken on. So when you already know, for example, that you've got you know six to eight months before this new program is going to be implemented, you've got time then to start to build those skills back into your staff and to give them an opportunity to decide on what kind of CPD they need. So part of it is actually making sure that those technical skills are there. And there's some great places out there um, that are working with um, the Department of Education and providing lots of different opportunities for that CPD to happen. Um, and it's important to tap into it because it, it is a different way of gaining some of those skills and working out what's actually needed. So to give you um, an example, there is a lot of sort of specific technical skills, but because it's that sort of future scanning, you know, if you're doing something like construction, there's going to be some 3D elements in there. Um, there's going to be some additive manufacturing in there. Um, there's going to be different elements that perhaps haven't been done in the other programs before because they're all part of the way that it's actually gearing people for not a job now, but a job for being ready to evolve and change in two to three years time. So the T-levels are very, um, very clear on some of those different kinds of um, requirements, what kind of things that they're actually expecting to see and hear and find in that sort of classroom environment is also going to be actually, well, how ready are your staff? So some of the providers are really been looking at, well, how do we get people ready? What does that look like? The other is the challenge around um, timings. It's very different when you're planning your curriculum and actually some of your learners aren't even in the classroom so what is your what do your schedules look like um, do you have the staff availability how are you going to split the staff against it and the other is primarily around the fact that it is holistic so if you're teaching holistically you're teaching collaboratively because not one person can just take one element and teach it because everybody's got to be contributing into that whole thing so it's a different way of um teachers working together so they're not just working with employers they're not just working with the student they're not just working with the careers but they're also working with each other in a completely different dynamic and that has taken a bit of a shift in thinking so you can still have ownership but what does that ownership look like when you're doing the teaching and what does it look like when it's been done collaboratively because those conversations have to happen more frequently you have to meet to together more frequently you have to be clear on what the outcomes are for the learners and you have ownership and accountability across the team it doesn't happen just in pockets where it might do with a single subject because you're not working like that anymore so it's a different kind of dynamic that you're working with and it's different across the board so often what we find is that the middle leaders are saying well okay 
these are some of the things that we've got to do, but actually go back to your staff, have a conversation with them because chances are they will tell you how they'll make it work because they know. They know their learners, they know who they're going to be working with, they know what kind of things need to be put in place. And it's about having real professional conversations about, okay, what does this T-level going to look like when it's in our space? It's because it's not going to be the same if it's, you know, another provider that are 200 miles away because their demographic is different, their environment is different, their local area needs are different. So you won't be doing it in the same way. You'll be doing it based on what you think you're going to be working with. So it's a different kind of um, way of working primarily. Um, and that's one of the key things that has been apparent from the providers who are working on trying to implement it. But if you've got T-levels in another pocket in your organization, go talk to them because there'll be common transferable learnings that you can take from that. They'll tell you what's worked for them and what hasn't worked for them. Um, they'll tell you about where the way in which they've um, had to adapt things or change things and how much of that, even if it's a completely different subject, might actually apply to you. So it was a real surprise when I'm talking to some providers and I say to them, well, I, have you got T-levels in your, in your organization? Yes, but it's in this particular area. Well, have you spoken to them? You know, you're having conversations with me about the concerns you've got, but actually they're dealing with the same learners. They're dealing with the same demographic. They're dealing with the same, you know, constraints because um, you're in the same provision. What what are you going to, you know, have you spoken to them? And sometimes they haven't, you know, and there's also professional communities out there that will also help you with that. So have those conversations with other providers and say, well, you know, what are you doing? What's working for you? And even if you're a provider that's two or three years ahead, go back and have conversations with these ones that are coming in that are new because they are having, they're worried about certain challenges, but actually the reality is if, unless they have that conversation, they don't know what learnings they can take from that and disseminate in their own teams. So what types of T-levels are available? I've, I've had a look at some of the T-level stats mm -hmm. that are uh, around. Is there, is this being expanded on? Because right now I could see about 10 T-levels ranging from building services engineering to education to digital um, digital production. So is this something that is continuous? It's like an expanding range oh, of subject areas? Nazia, it gets more interesting than that. They're like a little bit of like Russian dolls, these T-levels actually have pathways embedded in them so somebody for example who is doing um the education one education and child care for example there'll be one for early practitioners there'll be one that is um, suited for another pathway or another pathway all in the same qualification so you will typically pick an occupational specialism to do with your path to do to work with the specialist pathway that you've chosen so let's take for example health Health has got, um, it's a, you know, most people would realise that, that you've got something like a, a BTEC in health, but it's not the same. The T-level in health is very different. So in the T-level in health, there's, for example, four pathways that I can name at the moment. So one of them is um, mental health. Another one is adult nursing. Another one is um, children's nursing or sort of pediatric nursing so you've got different pathways within them and you would only pick one or two and specialize in those because as soon as you pick them you're actually running a different program they have their own syllabus for each of those pathways they have their they have to have an occupational specialism that is only suited to that particular pathway generally 
the the hope is that you will also find um, an employer to work with them that are part of that pathway. So the the paediatric one, for example, is actually midwifery. So that's a completely different beast. So it's and that's not going to be the same as adult nursing. So it's having those conversations around, you know, who's going to be involved. The NHS are very on board with um, and certainly are having those conversations with their own trusts and provision about, you know, let's get T levels in because some of the providers are finding that with the content that they're covering, once they've had those relationships with um, the NHS trusts, that actually their learners are on par with a first year degree student because of the amount of knowledge that they're picking up. And I'm not saying that they get all the same technical skills. Um, what I'm actually saying is that they are of the type of person that you have in your working space that understands how to work in that space. So they're ready for that next level of learning. And when they move on to things like degree apprenticeships, they fit straight in because these pathways are designed for that kind of thing. So it's it's about um, all those different elements that are actually involved. So when we talk about AT level, we're actually talking about maybe two or three qualifications. They're not the same. So you might be doing it in health, but actually you've specialised in, like I said, adult nursing. So even with the construction one, there's more than one pathway. Even with the engineering one, there's more than one pathway. With the um, digital, there's um, one in particular, the support one, which has got several um, network and cabling infrastructure ones all built into that one qualification. So you would typically not deliver all of them because actually that's quite a lot of work. You're delivering four completely different programs. So your first year might be core, and that's what they call it, the core, but actually your pathways might be very different depending mm. on which ones you're going to deliver. So even if you're looking at 10 T-levels, you're not looking at 10 pathways is what mm. I'm trying to get at. You're looking yeah. at a whole bunch and range of different ones. So mm. they're coming in in waves. So the first ones came in in September 2020. And that was the digital, the education and one of the um, construction ones. And then each year subsequently, other ones have been released. So this September, there'll be a few others that will also come on board. So they open up each year um, to a new pathway. So those that know that they're going to be delivering the T-levels will typically know which ones are going to be um, opening up and then they'll be ready for them. Some of the ones, providers that have decided that actually, yes, we're going with T-levels, but we won't go with it as soon as it goes live. We're going to wait a year, then have the benefit of other people's experiences to draw on. And there's plenty, you know, where if we're talking about 2023, you're talking about quite a few providers across the country. And in fact, you know, the government keeps a list of um, all the people that have actually done different pathways in different T levels um, on their site. So it's, you can also find people that are quite similar to you or have a similar demographic and just have a chat. You can, you can call them. The worst thing they can say is no, but it's essentially, you know, about having those conversations and saying, what are your experiences of this? But there's actually quite a large range of T levels that are actually out there now already. So the employer's side of it is that something mm. that the college or the sixth form has to go out and actually seek themselves then is that an, a challenge for them or is that you know there's already some providers attached to those t levels and you just get in touch and with an apprenticeship you you've got to see an apprenticeship as being a job that people would apply for and that is then attached to a provider okay so that's very different this is not the same um, the providers do have to find 
their local employers. They do have to find employers that are of that particular specialism. And um, is it a challenge? Well, certainly the providers that I've spoken to in the past have found that that's been one of their concerns. Is it one that they haven't overcome? The answer is actually no, that most of them have found that they've found those pockets of providers that are um, employers that are working with them. And in fact, um, I said earlier on that I was a T-level ambassador, but the T-level ambassadors network also has employers on there because there are lots of people that want this not just to work well, but to make sure that T-level students are supported in that environment. The other thing is most people, most providers also look at the employer element and realize that actually it doesn't all have to be hosting a student. It's also about having them in to do specialist talks, about doing work shadowing for the staff. It's also about um, offering opportunities to technically upskill for the staff. And so the relationships look very different and it is on the provider to actually build those relationships. But those employers are there. Um, so it's about tapping into those that are actually interested. The other thing is make it more diverse. You need to sometimes think of it a little bit wider. So for example, the NHS Trust, yes, they're dealing with health, but they're also dealing with um, some of the digital students because the digital element works in some of their environments where they've got um, their support facilities and that kind of thing. So sometimes it's also about looking at what employers you're working with, because it's also about saying, well, okay, what other things are they actually doing? So, you know, NHS trusts also have um, on-site construction teams. So again, you've got an opportunity there to tap into, it's, lo it's looking at it in a different way. It's not keeping it, oh, it's construction, therefore it has to be just construction. It's actually, where is construction being done? Who can you have those conversations with? What kind of things are they looking for? And then widening that net. So it's um, it it's certainly something that needs to be considered because that's one of the reasons why you have these networks and those conversations are happening. It's, you know, how can you support your local space? Who are your local employers? What are they asking for? And having those conversations to help support that process. Thank you. Wow. Um, so you've made mention of um, digital aspects um, mm. and of course many of the other elements, but actually now that we have you here, I do want to be nosy and I want to delve into that part of your world as well. So we know that you've you know, you're, you're really involved with, with uh, the digital world. Um, what's your thoughts about the, the future of learning and, and the element of the digital aspect for learners um, in the future? I think that's such an interesting question. And I think um, a lot of us having come through the pandemic have realised that actually learners don't automatically have those skills. They, and, and the skills they do have tend to be quite fractured and in different pockets. Um, one don't always have access to the technology um, so digital learning is something that I'm really quite passionate about and I really do believe in how much um, capital it has when you have digital understanding and, um, and an ability to apply digital skills. I think in the future um, any educational provider has to start to build those digital skills in because it's embedded as part of any job or role that they go into, 
if they go on to university, it's going to be part and parcel of everything they're going to be working on. And they've got to be competent um, and they've got to be competent digital learners. And that's not the same as saying, you know, let's just put e-safety on or let's give them cybersecurity skills. It's, it's more than that. It's about saying that every job they're going to be working in will have an element of digital competency. So what does that competency look like? And it's not just about things like, you know, Word or, um, you know, learning how to use spreadsheets. It's about saying this person's going to have to evolve their skills and they've got to be a digital learner. So navigating a digital space is just as important. So increasingly, um, it's really clear to me that, you know, digital learning is going to be embedded across everything or it needs to be embedded that even if you're doing, you know, whatever subject you're doing, you need to make sure that the students are actually developing good digital skills that they can actually, or that are transferable, that they can take across different areas. The other thing they're all going to be facing, and I mean all, um, if they really want the opportunity to be um, mobile and move up socially, is that they're going to need to have an element of analytics, the ability to understand the data, realize how it, where it comes from, realize how it's changing and processed, because that again is embedded across everything they're doing. And ironically, the T levels are actually designed so that they've got that digital element in mind as well, so that there is those digital skills embedded in there. And it's part and parcel of the way that the qualification was set up to take into account that actually none of these things are going to be done in isolation. They're all going to be done as part of their roles in the future. So if you're looking at making sure that your learners are prepared or your students are prepared, then it's making sure that they have got the right kind of learning in place. It's not just about the big words like AI or, you know, the big um, technologies that are coming in or that have actually been around for years. They've just not been as visible or accessible in the way they are currently. It's more about do have you given them the skills to navigate those spaces and understand how they need to use them so that they are competent users, ethical users, so that they understand what their responsibilities are when they're in that space. Um, do they know what it looks like? Do they know how their careers are going to evolve because these digital technologies are going to be changing that? So I think digital learning is preparing them for the baseline skills initially, but also to say, right, okay, as a digital learner, how might you need to evolve? What does that look like? And in the direction you're going in, what does that look like? What skills might you need to go forward with? So for me, digital learning is very much about making sure that you are preparing learners to be the best version of themselves. And part of that is in a digital space. So what does that version look like? Mm. Yeah, I think that there's so much happening, especially now with introductions of AI tools being developed and things like that. I think there's, um, you know, it's it's interesting. What are your thoughts on 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 that? I find it really, um, I find it really interesting that those of us that have been, you know, dealing with digital students for a long time have had all these kinds of issues come up, not necessarily just in. You know, with AI. So now we're having conversations as educators that, you know, what if they're using these AI tools to create their content? Well, actually, you get the students to verify it. You get the students, you talk to the students and ask them to demonstrate their learning. So typically, you know, there were quite a few of us that would say, well, okay, if you've put this content together, because obviously hours are navigating a digital space all the time, because my background was digital, 
and my learners have always been um, finding different ways and creative ways of using these tools that were there in the background that people didn't know about. Um, but it's about saying, well, okay, present that to me, you know, tell me about it, summarize that to me, have a conversation about it. No, you can't read that content while you're having that conversation with me. Tell me about what you say that you've written and you get them to authenticate their learning experience. Um, so, for example, someone said to me, well, you know, if I've got an autistic student, they won't be talking to me yet, but you can still have a conversation with them. They'll be, they may not be able to present it, but they'll certainly be able to answer questions on it, even if you have to type that into a chat and that's how they deal with it, they'll still be able to do it. So it's about asking students to verify their understanding to authenticate their learning experience, to say, you know, this is what I learned from that and this is how I'm going to use it. And it's then about getting them to create the products of that learning, not just saying, well, yes, here it is, I've put it on a piece of paper and this is what it looks like. Well, actually, how do you model that into something real, something that's tangible? You know, where would you apply it? How would you apply it? And then taking them that one step further and saying, now tell me what that learning looks like when it's in a real space. So it's it's a different way of um, asking learners to demonstrate what they understand. So if you're taking it away from the paper and the written, what does it look like when it's there in the real world? For T-levels, it's about authenticating it by putting it in a workplace environment, and but also bringing that back and creating real products, working in a real ward if you're doing health, um, working with real lab tech work if you're doing the healthcare science or it's all those different different ways of working. Um, so it's definitely a new space for some. I think it's a different kind of challenge for those of us that have already been dealing with it, but dealing with it in a slightly different way. But it's about saying, well, okay, if it's not just about demonstrating what's on paper, how are you going to authenticate that learning experience? What are they telling you? How would you like to hear it? What do you want them to be able to do or produce to show that they've got that learning happening? So much more that we can talk about. So we would love to have you back as some point to, to explore further all the wonderful things that, that we've shared in between the sessions. Um, but for now, what's next for you and the work that you do? Um, for me, it's very much about making sure that providers understand that technical skills are about building more than just competence. It's about making people in a position where they can really perform well when they get out there, that they are valued for the skill sets that they're developing. And, you know, if we're not doing that in education, when are you doing it? So I work with my um, employer to build those skills in for staff so that they can make sure that they're building those technical skills in for um, their learners. And for me, because I sort of work in the digital space um, and it's something I'm quite passionate about as an early careers advocate is to make sure that we're still opening up those doors and making sure that everybody has the right kind of skills to navigate the space so that you don't find that you're giving learners one kind of thing, but actually all you're doing is not giving them a full rounded experience um, as digital people, which is how they're going to navigate their spaces later on. So for me, it's very much still about opening doors, helping people on their journeys, making sure that they understand how to recognize an opportunity when they open a door to step through it, because that can be a bit of a push in its own right. I've had this conversation with, I don't know, many a learner, they'll be like, oh, you know, and then you can see them on the precipice and you just think, just just do it, you know, just do it. So it's about recognizing those opportunities as well. And 
very much um, I'm somebody who is a real push for being a lifelong learner and making sure that we're building those skills in how can you develop further from here from where you are now if you want to pivot and you want to change direction what can you take with you and what might you need to develop from here on in so I'm still working with lots of other people and organizations to look at how we can open those doorways up but also to help people to move into different directions if they want to so yeah so a lot of work yet still to do you're keeping yourself busy huh absolutely yeah. absolutely why not <laughs> well i mean the thing is that like i said i mean even with me when i especially when it comes even though i have got like an it background mm. you know just the 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 progress that's been made with yeah. technology is just so immense that even i find it really difficult to continuously catch up with whatever's been going on and what you know students have access to and how mm. me as a teacher or a head teacher I need to really be wary of all what's going on and if especially if I want my students to be um ready for the you know the future you know the, the and I'm, I feel like I'm always playing catch-up and I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of teachers probably feel the same way as well don't they that there's always something new that's happening that they don't know about or they need to get up to date with um, so that they're prepared to speak to their youngsters about it. I think it's really important that you recognise that you don't have to learn all of it mm. and that actually it's also about helping your learners become people that can learn those things for themselves and then as it evolves and changes how they can adapt to that. So having that ability to adapt those to those changes is actually really quite key because it is going to continue to change. It is an evolving landscape. And the, the problem is the view from where we're sat now is much shorter because we don't actually know how it's going to evolve and what that's going to look like. So it, building learners skills to develop themselves is really quite important because it's going to change and if you don't know what it's going to look like in two or three years time then whatever skills they have now are going to be out of date by then mm. so what are you doing to help them be better learners how are you helping them get a mindset so that they understand that actually where I am now is not where I'm going to be in three years time I'm going to be somewhere different and that might look different and the direction might be different so what do I need to do to evolve into something new mm. when we talk about digital skills it's really important that we give them that sort of um, benefit of understanding that digital is about convergence it's about um, the fact that computing is never pure it's always going to look different depending on which environment you work in and what role you're doing so with whatever it is that they're learning it's going to look very different when it's in a work environment it's going to look very different if it's in a home environment it's going to look very but it's the same skill set if it's handled correctly if it's managed properly they're still the same person they still have the same constraints they still have some ethical considerations and it's also about saying well actually it's okay to for example we had the conversation earlier about using your gps but actually without the gps do you know how to get there and if you don't know how to get there when are you going to switch off that gps and not just use that tool to tell you what to do all the time how are you going to be somebody who's independent and able to actually do those things for yourself because until they are they won't evolve they can't because all that we've taught them to do then is just to follow the gps 
Mm. And I think digital is very much about saying, well, okay, it's not just about using one tool. It's about how do these tools work? What processes and how can you apply that elsewhere? Which is what essentially we do with all types of learning. We, we never give them just one set of skills. It's trying to get them to understand that actually those skills will be applicable in any subject matter, in any subject area. And actually, if you go into an employer, um, if you go to work for somebody, those skills apply there. They're just going to look different when they're actually there in, the, in in a different capacity. So it's about evolving those individuals and saying, well, okay, I don't know everything right now. That's fine. Where do I need to be? What do I need to know in order to do that? And actually, when I get there, what do I need to know from that point onwards? Um, and, and getting them into a mindset to understand that actually that's normal. They won't know everything now. That's not the point. The point is, do they know how to evolve their learning from where they are now? to be somebody different because they will be somebody different in two or three years time and what mm. does that look like mm. yeah we asked our guests to provide us with some top tips or insights um to share with our listeners so is there anything that you can share with us with regards to uh top tips for new teachers or um schools or other organizations establishments looking at uh, working with T-level qualifications? Um, I'd probably say things like um, definitely don't work in a silo. You know, reach out, talk to other people, talk to other teachers, talk to other providers, um, have a look at what they're doing because everybody wants to share, everybody wants it to work. So have a conversation with them about what they're doing and do it early. So do it well in advance of, you know, putting the provision in place. The other thing I would say is um, don't be afraid of employers. Go talk to people. They are more than willing to provide different things for you. It doesn't always have to be about hosting a student. It can be about guest lectures. It can be about your own CPD. It can be about your own work shadowing. Think about things like sabbaticals because you can actually take some time out of your own and uh, go and learn those things. Um, there's also that element of looking out for what kind of CPD is out there to support you. And there's actually quite a lot. Um, you know, the there's a lot of things out there that are already fully funded. So providers can work with those um, different people that can be brought in and can talk to your teams. So there's definitely an element of that. The other is have a look at the T-levels. You There's lots of different things going on in them. There's lots of different ways in which it, they can be approached and have fun with it because you have more autonomy with it because you have lots of different ways in which you can set up individual projects within the T-levels more so than you might have been able to do with other things. So definitely have those conversations with your teams. Definitely think about how you really want it to work. Think about who your ideal learners are and then build them. You know, your learners are right there on your doorstep. So make sure that you are giving them the best possible um, experience because that's why you came into teaching, surely. That's absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Rubina. Krupa, any last words? Uh, no, just uh, fantastic advice. And we hope to see you soon. I think I'm going to definitely take away this idea of, of bankable employability and, and not working in a side. And actually, as the new year the new year looms, um, it's, it's very easy to get caught up in your to-do list and trying to get a hundred things done very quickly but you're yeah. quite right in in yourself and being able to just look sideways look beyond that and um you know work work as collaboratively as collaboratively as possible 
because um, actually lots of other things could could pop out and good good stuff works. So thank you, thank you very much for that. It's been an absolute welcome. pleasure having today. It's been a pleasure um, being here. Um, and we will certainly be in contact very very soon because I think there are there are other topics outside of, of this um, which I think you would shed some brilliant light on um, and I think our listeners will be really keen to know but we'll we'll come back to that another day that's great thank, thank you so much Rubina for uh, being a guest on our show lovely thank you for having me wow what a amazing but also the depth of Rabina's knowledge around T-levels um, and actually much needed I think it's this time of the year where we're learning about what's new we've just had A-level results come through we've had uh, GCC results come through and having a session just on on T-levels at this point in time just felt quite poignant Nazir do you agree? Yeah I mean the thing is that we both work, have worked in the secondary sector yes. uh, before so I think that you know it's really important that we know what's happening and you know the innovation that's taking place especially when it comes to the development of qualifications and curriculum and opportunities for our young people. Absolutely so in summary for me I think there's a few things but I'm going to try and keep it quite tight um, as a session has just offered such depth of knowledge. Um, I think the uptake of T levels from my understanding is increasing, which is really good. So I think it started in September 2020 at 2023, it's it's gone up from three T levels all the way up um, to, you know, I think across 16, 16 or more, if that was the last bit of research I looked at anyway. Um, and we've got over 10,000 learners that have enrolled onto that since then, which is, is good. Um, however, 63% of young people still don't know about it. So there's work around that. 28% of employers have heard of T-levels and actually understand it. And I think that's really quite interesting because only 28% are saying that they are T-level ready, mm. uh, which means that we need to engage uh, a greater variety in that regard in terms of employ em employers uh, engaging with colleges and, and uh, further educational settings that run T-levels. Um, what I also thought was, what well, again, I wanted to come up with what's the outcome. So we've got 48% of higher educational providers uh, now accept T-levels um, and 71% of young people who were, so although it's a small cohort, who did complete this, the T-levels the um, were successful in securing a place and that includes Russell Group universities as well. So that's, it's, there's hope. I see there's hope. The uptake is increasing and, in, uh, you know, which is good, but I think the awareness needs some work. Um, but as Rubina made really clear, there are pros but also it's an evolving landscape. And I think that's the message today, that T-Levels has lots to offer. It is a journey that, that they're on. There are really key conversations happening to make it work and the backing of that. What I am really interested in, and I really hope that from this conversation, we could have teachers that could talk us through what it's like teaching a T-Level um, and hearing some more of that firsthand experience of what it looks like in the classroom, what it feels like to to design the curriculum so that it works for these assessments that happen over a period of time, but also not having your learners in five days a week because they're out for one day a week, which is uh, remarkable, truly. So um, the variety doors opening and stepping through that door when opportunities arise that Rabina made mention of, I think is another area for us to harness as we come to an end um, of of this conversation. So what was your, your thoughts in that regard? I completely agree with all everything that you've just said there I think that there's an immense potential here and that it takes time 
to for it to find its definitive sp uh, space and place um and it's you know an additional offer an additional option is always a good thing um so expanding that repertoire of collocation is always a good thing and it takes time for it to really find its place um and i think that there's lots of amazing work happening and i think that we i think that it just needs to be like i said showcase more and um and i and people like us who work in that sector and work with young people from that sector i think you know us knowing about it uh, and now I think is going to have wider impact on the work that I do moving forward especially with the expansion of my school and stuff so I think that there's definite work to be done in terms of the implementation and development of it which takes time and I think we're I think that when it does find its place I think that it's going to offer immense opportunities for our young people employability skills is the way to go i've seen a, such a big difference in the way my son is well, since he's taken on his degree apprenticeship mm. and the his the quality of his soft skills that he has um, so yeah definitely you all for it yeah uh, i definitely am super right so uh we're coming to the end of our conversation and uh we always end with a serenity sunday moment so this uh, Serenity Sunday moment is going to be about self-reflection, actually. Um, I provided my staff with opportunities for self-reflection, and I think that making sure that we do that enables serious thought around our behaviours, thoughts, attitudes, motivations and desires. So I use the three H's for personal reflection with my team, heroes, hardships and highlights. Mm -hmm. It was a really interesting discussion um, and my team were really open with me and I think that it's so important that we are intentional with our reflections because it's an incredibly valuable practice for yourself and for your team. And a lack of reflection, uh, reflection uh, causes uh, us to simply just keep running um, trying to keep up with things and just doing the same thing over and over. So what I encourage is a regular reflection throughout the year to gain perspective, to respond more effectively and to promote, to promote that learning and understanding. Um, and our life experiences and the people that we have in our life give, give, give us that. They give us, uh, they provide us with the wisdom, the knowledge and the perspective to help ourselves and to help other people. So that is my Serenity Sunday moment, which is finding time for self-reflection for yourself and for your teams throughout the year and regularly. Um, so friends, that's the end of our show. We wish you all a really good end to your weekend and a lovely week ahead. Uh, take care. Thank you. Stay well. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.